Well, good morning, Antioch Church. My name is Scott Ross. Thank you, for Ken, for the introduction and the opportunity to share this morning. And that song, I hope you were listening to the words because it was very appropriate with what I'm going to share. And uh, thanking God and the good times and the bad. <clears throat> I know that uh, we're all breathing sort of a sigh of relief, and it's a joyful week now that Paris Hilton is free. <laughs> I, I know that something has opened up in your heart, I'm sure, for her. And <clears throat> No, we I seriously prayed for Paris in prison. Wouldn't it be amazing if she, be, if she came to Christ? What a testimony she would have, and we're still praying that way. What a week. Wow. So two things that have been a challenge in my life preparing for this week. One, I have three young children, and we've had pink eye going through the house, running rampant. It started with the little one, and then I had it, my wife, my oldest, and then one was left, Logan. And at 7 o'clock this morning, he came into our room. I should say he, he dashed frantically and had that caked-over booger eye thing, couldn't open his eyes, freaked out. He looked like something from Michael Jackson's Thriller video, you know, just... Wow, did I just make a Michael Jackson reference? I'm sorry. I apologize for that. So... He and my wife, Jennifer, are off in the park playing while everyone else is here. So that's been a challenge this week. And also my, uh, my in-laws are in town, staying in our house. It's been a challenging week. No, no, I love them. They're here, and, and I'm so grateful for Ken and Cindy and the family being here. And uh, I'm also just grateful to be here with you this morning and share This is an exciting opportunity. What I would like to do this morning is just share with you what's happened really in the last year of my life. What has God done? And if anything, I would title this message Confessions of Redemption. Confessions of Redemption. Redemption is a a major theme that God has been hammering in my heart and in my life this year. And it's, it's important for us to stop and share stories. And I know in a way some of you are thinking, oh, we showed up to church this morning. There's some guest speaker who's planning a church in Redmond. What a a waste. I, I was looking forward to hearing Ken. And I understand that. But I would say this. It's also very important for us just to stop and hear our stories. Don't you wish at times we could just take a remote on the world and hit pause? And we could just stop even as Antioch Church and turn to each other and just share the stories of God's redemption in our lives. It's very important. So I pray this morning that as I share that something would connect with you and with your heart and with your church that you could run with and that God would pursue in you. You see, a year ago, I never would have dreamed that I would be in Redmond, Oregon, starting a new church. You see, there are some dreams that you pursue and that you have a heart for and you chase. And then there are other dreams that God puts on your heart and God pursues you with. And he dreams for you. And I hope you pursue him and you allow him to give you great dreams. And I know Antioch is just that. It's a God-sized dream. And I pray that he continues to grow you in faith.
through that story. Let's pray. So Lord God, I do thank you for this morning. I thank you for Antioch Church. Lord, I'm grateful for the opportunity to just come before you, to come before your word and before your people. Lord, we sit down at your feet. We open up your great book. We read and we just listen. Holy Spirit, give you permission to speak to our hearts, to move in us, to shape us and grow us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I know perhaps I look like a, uh, a man of great health and vim and vigor and, and life, but I'll be honest with you, it's a farce. Well, in a way it is. For me, uh, in my entire adult life, I've been battling with an autoimmune disorder wherein my immune system is actually attacking the systems of my body across the board. And so for over 10 years, I've been dealing with deep chronic fatigue and joint problems, and I've had surgeries, and I have bad blood tests and skin disorders and just all kinds of things that are really a battle for me. And it's just grown worse and worse and worse. And my family, we come from the Seattle area, just north of Seattle, Mill Creek, if you're familiar with that area, have been in ministry for 10 years, I graduated University of Washington, and then went to Bible school and and seminary classes after that while in ministry. But for 10 years in ministry, young family, lots of joy, lots of life, lots of success. But my life has been tunneled in and closed in every more and more every year by this, this problem with my body. And I, I've seen every expert, and I've taken almost every sort of medication, and I've fasted and wept before God and been prayed over by elders, and, and I've tried everything I can, and God had not given me relief. And this last year, it all came to a, to a head in a way where I, I truly felt as though my life was coming to an end. And I spoke with my wife, Jennifer, about it and my family and my friends, and they all saw the same thing. I literally several times last year, I said to Jennifer, my wife, I said, Jen, I feel like my life is ebbing away, like the end is near. And she said, you know, Scott, I, I can see it. I know. What's, what are we going to do? What's going on? And that was sort of the phrase that we've used. And so for me, I'll share this with you. It's been a desert year, particularly 2006, feeling like my life was coming to a close and, and, and I didn't know what, what to do with it and no one had an answer. It was a desert year. And I'll say this. We all experience the desert times, right? We do. And if you haven't, hold on. Hold on, because you will. Times of, of sickness and of loneliness, of poverty, of just wondering, why do I feel isolated, God? Why am I feeling this way? Am I all alone in this? And that's okay. All I could do last year was hold on to Jesus. To be honest, there were times where all I could do was just hold on to him and try to trust him that he was doing something in me and taking me somewhere. And for you as well, in times of sleepless nights and endless pain and suffering, hold on to Jesus. And in feelings, uh, times of isolation 
and of loneliness where your family is not with you and your friends have all abandoned you. Hold on to Jesus. There are times where that's all we can do. And there are two responses. Same question we ask of God, but asked in two different ways. One is healthy, one is unhealthy. The healthy question is, or the unhealthy one, let's put that one first, is, God, why is this happening to me? Why are you doing this to me? Where our bitterness and our pain are, goes from anger, which God allows, and question to bitterness and to doubt and despair. But I hope our response is better than that. And it is same question. Okay, God, why is this happening to me? Where are you taking me? Why am I here? What are you revealing to me about me? And I've learned, and and you see it in scripture time and again, that every great journey that God takes someone on or his people, it begins in the desert. And so I pray that if you're in a desert moment, even this morning, at this point in your life, maybe you'll listen and God will give you a glimpse of where he's taking you in any direction. So life in the desert, story of my life this last year, feeling parched and alone and dry and and, and wondering where God was taking me. Okay, so things began to change. Hold on with me. This, the story is getting, it's going to move on. Things began to change for the better, fortunately. Found out at the end of the summer through a crazy set of circumstances, working with an immunologist um, that found out that I have a mold allergy. I'm, I have a severe alert, allergy to mold, particularly mold that grows on fir trees, which in the Seattle area or west of the mountains in Oregon or, or Washington, you, it thrives 12 months a year. You can't get away from it. So I was poisoning myself all of my life living up there. And so the doc said, you know, Scott, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is we have hope. You might be able to conquer this thing. The bad news is you're going to have to move. You're going to have to leave. Well, the mixed emotion, of course, the one was any sort of glimmer of hope, right? Have you been there? I'll do whatever it takes. I'll take this arm. Well, that hand, I'll give it to you if, if you give me freedom from this. And there was great joy, but there was great pain. My parents and my sisters and my family all live up there. My wife is the oldest of 11, and her family and her, all of our friends and our base. I've been in ministry for 10 years, and, and we had to leave everything. But we felt God was calling us. So where were we going to go? What were we going to do? This is at the end of last year. We had to go like post-haste because I was going to contract multiple sclerosis or lupus or get even worse. I had to run to to the desert. High desert was the dream. And through some different circumstances, God, which is a good place to move, right? You know, I mean, boy, Scott, you're going to have to move to Tulsa. Sorry, no offense. I mean, you're, but uh, the Tulsonians in the crowd, going to have to leave. Where was I going to go? What was I going to do? Well, through a set of circumstances, too long to describe, God was pointing us to Redmond, Oregon, to start a church. Now, I had never done anything more than drive through Redmond, Oregon. It wasn't really my kind of place. And uh, starting a church wasn't something that I had really dreamed of doing and felt even equipped to do. But our family, our friends, leaders in our life were ready to support us financially and had prayed and and, and wanted to send us. 
We just didn't know. We felt okay about it, but we wanted God to speak to our hearts and our lives. And I think God, God speaks to us in many different ways. When I have people ask me, okay, Scott, how do I know when God's speaking to me? Well, he can speak through visions and dreams and prophecies and the, the whispers of a child and the wind. And, but I think he always speaks in three ways, scripturally. And I have an acronym for it. It's BOP. Bible, others, and prayer. God always speaks through his word, through the words of godly men and women, and through times in prayer. And we felt as though others were pointing us to plant a church in Redmond. And we prayed about it. And we felt a peace. But, boy, we wanted God to reveal it to us through scripture. And we read a, <clears throat> something called church planners assessment where they, they try to discover, are you really made to be a church planner? We're back in Wisconsin with dozens of other couples and we, we could tell that they were going to give us a positive approval. <clears throat> and, and that was great, but we still wanted to hear from God. And at the end of that week, if you would open to Psalm 107, probably should have had you turn there uh, before, but it, Psalm 107 my wife, Jennifer, and I were pleading with God, would you speak to us through your word if this is the right thing for us to do? Move to Redmond and start a church. Psalm 107. And uh, the last day of this conference, Jennifer just sat down on her knees, knelt down on her knees, opened up the Bible and said, we need you to speak now, God. Would you, would you talk to us? We need to move somewhere now and we know if this is the right thing. Her Bible fell open to Psalm 107. And let me read the first uh, eight or nine verses for you. It reads thusly. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south. Listen. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Sorry. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Why? For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. And can you see why Jennifer wept when she read this and said, God, you've answered. You've spoken through your word. And she, she ran down from the, uh, from the hotel room that she was in and found me in a meeting and she had tears and, you know, mascara was streaming down her face and she looked like the wife of a televangelist or something. I was really freaking out. And she said, Scott, sorry, Ken. Sorry about the guest speaker. I grabbed me. We need to talk now, Scott. And I looked into her eyes and I thought, oh boy, I, either she just found out she's pregnant <laughs> or, or something is up. She took me back to our room. She said, Scott, read this. Opened up to Psalm 107 and I read it and I just broke down and wept. And we just got on our knees and prayed and thanked God for speaking to us and feeling for the first time in years, hope, feeling hope. So we moved. We've been here since January 2nd. We moved to Redmond not knowing one person. But feeling confirmation since we've been here and as we've gone through this journey. And we have a, a really solid core team developed now. It's building. We're looking to have pre-launch services in the fall and, and maybe open for public worship in December. Kind of a Christmas theme. God willing, you know, who never, you never know the timetable. And I'm feeling better. 
I'm really feeling better. I was about 20% capacity last year, and I think I'm up to about 75% and getting better. But uh, redemption. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Start of this passage. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from all over the land. And just want to share a couple more thoughts about redemption. Very important concept. Redemption biblically literally means to be liberated, to be set free from bondage through the act or payment of someone else. To be liberated or to be set free from bondage by the act or payment of somebody else on our behalf. Many uh, examples of redemption in scripture. Want to look at two major themes briefly, and then we'll make some conclusions. But redemption, do you, uh, if you would turn to Exodus chapter four, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter six, second book of your Bible. You've got it real easy to find Genesis and then Exodus chapter four or chapter six. Redemption. Now, is this something that's just this lofty biblical philosophical idea or does it apply to us? Redemption is valid for all of us. We've all had times in our lives where we feel we needed rescued and delivered from something we had done, from some bondage or sin that we were in or or a place that we were uh, sort of enslaved or shackled or maybe some of you have literally been imprisoned. I'll tell you, there was a time in my life where I needed redemption. I needed rescued. I was in fifth grade. And me and some friends, we decided to ditch school. Long story, a bad neighborhood, bad set of friends, bad time of life, and we were doing bad things. We were ditching school in fifth grade, and we went to go shoplift. So we went kind of store-to-store shoplifting in the middle of the school day. And we left one store, and as we walked out, a squad car, police car, came and pulled right up and screeched its tires right in front of us. He pulls out, or no, he, he was on his uh, speaker deal, his megaphone, drop to the, drop to the ground, Put, spread your arms and legs out. So here's three fifth graders on the parking lot. He took us, we had been reported as, as for stealing, and then he, he took us back to school in cuffs, cuffed the three of us, We had to walk from the entry door of the school all the way down the hall, past all the classrooms, to the principal's office. And, of course, as we're walking down the hall, in every class, the kids come running to the little window, you know. What did they do now? What happened? And uh, got to the principal's office, and in cuffs, we sat down in chairs. And the police officer, the principal, our teacher were all there. And on speakerphone, called our moms. And the officer said, you know, this is Officer O'Malley. It wasn't O'Malley, but that sounds right. Good. That sounds good. <laughs> Your son was ditching school today and was caught shoplifting. You have two options. One, you can come get him and we'll release him to your custody. Or we'll take him to juvenile detention overnight and we'll bring him back to school in the morning. They had no intention of doing that, right? They just really wanted to scare us. Well, the first kid's mom was on the phone and she said, what are you doing? You have my son there. I'll be right there. I can't believe you're even talking about this. I'll be right there. Oh, okay, good. Second mom, I called her up. 
what do you do? Release my son from handcuffs. Get, I'll, I'll be right there. I can't believe you're doing this. We're going to talk. Oh, okay, this is going well. My mom. <laughs> Mrs. Ross, here are your options. You can either come pick him up or we'll take him to juvenile detention and pick him up in the morning. And there was silence. And then she said, hmm, well, what do you think I should do, officer? And I just, <laughs> it, it was over, burst into tears. What mother, my betrayer. <laughs> and he, I, I remember him picking up the phone. Mrs. Ross, it's, we're not going to take him to juvie. Come down here and get him. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but I needed redemption and I f- fell flat in my own mother. It's like the time that I was chased home from a gang of people that want to beat me up. And she stood there with the door locked and through the door said, you fight your own fights. I'm not going to let you in this house. (laughs) Mother. No, she really is a loving mom. And, uh, tell you a little more about that later. Exodus chapter six, the biblical theme of redemption, old Testament example, Israel, God redeemed Israel over and over again in two major ways. The first one from the bondage of slavery in Egypt to Pharaoh, right? He had built his people up under the bondage of slavery. They cried out to him and he rescued them. Exodus chapter six, beginning with verse one. This is God promising to Moses. If he speaks to Pharaoh, God will release. He'll, he'll deliver his people. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand. He will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. Listen carefully. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. I I know I made a promise. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will redeem you with a mighty arm and with outstretched Uh, with with mighty acts of judgment. God redeemed his people. He rescued them. And Psalm 107, which I read earlier, is most likely one of the last, uh, in terms of timeline, writings of the Old Testament. It is remembering God's uh, uh, release from, from captivity of all the people that had been spread out. And he brought them back to rebuild Jerusalem. And they were rescued again, redeemed from captivity. And in the New Testament, of course, the, the, the ministry of Jesus was built on this theme of redemption. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Last text, it's worth looking at. Hang with me. Luke chapter 4, at the outset of Jesus' ministry, he sets the tone for redemption. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Listen to the heart of redemption, of liberation, of rescue. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him had spread spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth. He went to his hometown where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. 
The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. This is what he read from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. One of the grand purposes of his ministry was, of course, redemption, was freedom. And we say, well, that's a great thing because there are so many people in this world who are in poverty and who are in bondage and captivity and need to be freed. And then I hope you feel in your, your heart that tug where the Holy Spirit says, no, no, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your life. And I know that in Bend, it is at times difficult to see this. You say, boy, there aren't too many people I see that are sort of in captivity or poverty in Bend. Let me illustrate it through my life in just a, in just a quick way. Uh, God has done a redeeming work in me and in my life and in my family. You see, I had a father, my biological father, who was very abusive especially towards me. And he just loved to just beat the snot out of me as a very young child. And he was an alcoholic and he would come home drunk and he would beat me to unconscious level of unconsciousness at times. That was my father as a young child. And I remember thinking, well, this must just be how all dads are. But I was being enslaved to sort of a family system of pain. And I remember vividly one particular night in fourth grade, when my dad came home drunk and I woke up and I just cracked the door in my bedroom and looked out at dad and he had his head hung down in sort of a drunk stupor and, and suddenly he looked up at me and squinted and he pointed right at me and he said, you have ruined my life. My dad told me that. And of course, what does that do to a, a young boy? I believed it to be true. I ruined my dad's life. I've ruined my family. And a couple of years later, he divorced my mother and he just left. Never saw him again. And what did that do to me? It made me very angry. I was a bitter young man, very violent, very unsuccessful in school, straight, school, straight Fs all the way through. No one was going to tell me what to do. No one was going to write. I was that kid. Believe it or not, I know I look like, you know, I'm the guy from uh, Blue's Clues or something. I don't know now, but... <laughs> And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that's reality. But uh, anyway, I was going somewhere with that, wasn't I? Um, and uh, so my, I was just an angry kid. Was there a problem with me? Oh, yeah. Was there a problem with everyone else? Oh, yeah. And I was out to prove it. And as a young high schooler, I was an angry young man. My parents, my, my mother remarried. Great man. My stepfather, Fred, we didn't get along great in the early years. They forced me to go to church camp one year. And I was the kid in the back. I literally had my jacket on, my sunglasses on, my hat pulled down, my headphones on, my cassette tape player, right? Beastie Boys. And I'm just doing this in the back row with all the church kids in the front. But God spoke to me that week. And I stopped. I started to turn the volume down a little more. 
And I started listening. And this idea of a God, a daddy, who loved me enough to die for me and was pursuing me, it just, it disturbed everything in my world. And I spent the next six months studying scripture in a way I didn't know most people didn't, didn't do that. I just devoured it and sought truth and came to a place where I said, I believe this is true. I am a sinner and it, it has separated me from God and there's nothing I can do about it but to accept his forgiveness and his cleansing and begin a new life. And I had one of those moments where I literally said, okay, God, this is my life. It is yours. It's yours. And I walked away from it. And he did an amazing work in my life to his glory and his credit and gave me joy and insight and peace. And before you knew it in school, I was called Reverend Ross. Here comes Reverend Ross. And it was a sign of respect, not a put down. And I had friends asking me for advice and input. And, and then we moved up from where I lived there to, to Seattle and began that process. And God has done a work of redemption in my life. And that's what he does. That is his business, is redemption. And I think I would be remiss not to, to stop right now and ask you the question and not assume that you have. Have you been redeemed? Have you been set free by Jesus from your own sin and your own selfishness and your own pain and what you've done and what's been done to you? You can have freedom from that and new life through Christ. And, and maybe you're at a place where you've said, I, I've tried to pursue everything else, truth and, and, and wealth and power and connections and family and every, every avenue I've tried to find a meaning for life. It's come up dry and I'm ready now to let up, to let go of the wheel and to make God my leader in my life, to be redeemed. Are you redeemed? Now, I think God is about a great work of redemption in Central Oregon. I really do. Do you know that Deschutes County was the second fastest growing county last year in the country? And it's, uh, Redmond alone has tripled in size in the last 15 years, and it's expected to triple again in the next 15 years. I know that Bend is just growing out of control, and it causes all kinds of problems. And I think that God obviously knows what's going on. And he is starting a new work, as he always is. And he's making a connection between Antioch Church and Church and Sisters, Sisters Community Church. And I, I think in our, through our work in Redmond, where he's dreaming big dreams of redemption in Central Oregon. And I think it's incredibly exciting, isn't it? And I think what is happening here at Antioch is an amazing part of that story a story of redemption, a story of life. In fact, for me, this is such a, uh, such a big theme. I, I have considered calling our church plant, our new church, Redemption Church, but no one else likes that. So <laughs> what can I do? I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, let me ask just a couple of questions and I'm going to close. I ask you to consider two things. Well, first, let me say this. Thank you for your attention this morning. See, the guest speaker usually comes in and goes really long. I don't think I have, right? You owe me one. And uh, um, if you would do this for me, would you pray? 
when you hear about Redmond in the news, when you read of Redmond in the paper, when you drive through, remember that, that guy that was moldy or something that <laughs> is starting a church? Starting a church in Redmond, and we need to pray for him. Would you pray for us? And pray for, continue to pray for my health. As often as the Lord puts it on your heart, I need prayer partners. And two, you could even do this. You have coworkers or family in Redmond or you, you run across people who might need to be redeemed or need their life story changed in that way or would be a great connection for starting a church and maybe joining us. Spread the word. Spread the word. We're building team and momentum. And I would deeply appreciate that. And uh, I thank you so much for, to, to Ken and, and the leadership of Antioch for partnering with us and dreaming with us. So here are those two questions. I told you I'd close with two questions. One is this. I wonder if while I was sharing stories of my life of the desert times, and particularly this last year, just a year of, of, of loneliness and isolation and pain and exhaustion, my desert time, I wonder if there was something in your heart or, or, or you, you know clearly that that's describing you right now. The circumstances might be completely different. Might be a family situation, a work situation, a health situation. It could be anything. But you said, you know what? Wow, I'm in that desert land right now and I need God to work in me. Let me just say this. You can be honest with God about that. Be honest with him about the pain and, and the anger and the fears. He's a big God. He's a big boy. He can handle it. But as I hoped I described to you, I just, I just cling to Christ. Would you do that too? And see maybe where he is taking you or what he is revealing in your heart in a new way, and this is what he used. I believe truly in my heart that God created me in my inmost being. He knit me together in my mother's womb, Psalm 139. And that for his reasons, he created me with a mold allergy and he allowed me to suffer for many years to get me to a place where he needed me. He desired me to be in ministry in a different place for a work he was going to accomplish and he knew I wouldn't leave on my own. Where is he taking you? Every great journey begins in a desert. I'm going to pray for you this morning. And the second question, as I mentioned redemption and I unpacked what it means to become a redeemed child of God, to realize there is something separating me from God and it's my sin and it's my pain and it's my ego and my selfishness and all that has happened in my life and I can't control it anymore. I just let go and I surrender control of my life over to God. And I allow him to forgive my sins and free me from the bondage I've been living in. Maybe when I share that, something stirs in you and you've come to a place where you say, Scott, you know what? I'm there. I'm there. I want to let go of that. I want to become redeemed. I say, praise God, and I'm going to pray for you this morning as well. We'll just pray that God moves in our hearts and speaks to us. And it's nothing dramatic, no altar call. I'm just going to pray. So why don't we close doing just that in prayer?
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us enough to bear our sins on a cross, for dying in our place, for doing what we could not do and receive what we did not deserve. Lord, I thank you for being my God and for being my leader and for all that you've done in my life and in my family the last several years, even the pain. Lord, I thank you for this holy moment in this last half hour or so of just sharing. Lord, I do pray for Antioch Church. I pray that they would continue to dream big dreams. You would provide for their needs, for volunteers, for leaders, and all the above. Lord, I pray for Ken and Tamara and their family. Lord, would your blessing be upon them? Would their joy increase as they serve you? Lord, I do pray in the future for a partnership between our churches, if that's what you'd have, and you just outline that out. Father, for those this morning that have been in a desert land and they feel isolated and and there's been pain and, and frustration and fear, Lord, would you continue to come alongside them, hold their hands, help them to hold on to yours. Lord, may we see you in our pain. And I don't just ask for relief and deliverance. I ask for relief and deliverance through the pain, through the desert, that you would teach us great things and take us on great journeys. Lord, may we have great stories to tell in the future of how you've delivered us. And Lord, I pray for those in this room who who perhaps hear the story of redemption and say, yes, I'm in that boat. I'm ready to let go and to let God lead my life. I just surrender it now. That's what we do, Lord. We just stop and we say, I'm not God. I make a terrible God, but you make a wonderful God. And I give myself over to you. Would you be my leader? Would you forgive my sin? And give me new life and new hope and great joy as I follow you. Father, we lift up these prayers. We lift up all the ideas you put in our hearts this morning. What's of you, would you bless? What isn't, would you leave behind? Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.